Take your Bibles and turn them over to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, the passage that Brandy just read for us. Uh, here at Redeemer, we work through books of the Bible, and so about a month ago, we started 1 Peter, and we're just going to keep working our way through 1 Peter. You know, last week, I attempted to preach this very passage and a version of this very sermon, and about 10 minutes into it, an incessant stream of fire alarms started going off. So it's like the Lord said, hey man, that's not good. You should stop. Stop. So I took that as a cue to, to make a few edits this week. So if you took notes on the first 10 minutes last week, you should probably throw those away because it's going to be a little bit different. And if you weren't here last week, you can just kind of exhale because you didn't miss anything except three fire alarms and an evacuation. And uh, we met the new fire chief because he kicked us out of the Y. So it was a blast. Just for the record, if that happens today, there's two doors here and several in the back. We'll meet you in the grass outside. I had what I thought was a great plan to exhort our church last week to be the body of Christ no matter what and to come here this week and proclaim that Jesus is our cornerstone. So Jesus is our cornerstone, but the Lord had other plans. And so today we're going to talk about brotherly love in the body of Christ because that's what Peter talks about and because I think it's important for us to dive in. Um, if you're new with us here at Redeemer, the main points of the sermon will be on the screen over my shoulder, and um, I would encourage you to take notes and follow along. But, but here's, here's the point of this passage, which was just read for us. The church is purposed by God to be a corporate witness of brotherly love to the world so that it will know the love of God. The church is intended by God to be a corporate witness of brotherly love to the world so that the world will believe that the love of God is real. Now, I, that's a trumped up, loaded statement, but the point of the passage is this. If you know Jesus, God's purpose is for his love to change you in such a way that you're filled with love for the other people of God. So we at Redeemer say it this way, we believe that the local church is a family of Christ followers who worship and who share God's salvation with others. And this passage hones in on the family part. The family part. That part where we come to grips with the fact that in Christ we have been redeemed, saved, restored, and united to God and made a part of his family. Now yesterday, I spent the day in the nether reaches of West Tennessee at a family reunion all outside. So family is ever on my forefront right now. But when I say family this morning, don't think about the roasted pig and the sweet tea and the banana pudding those are all good things, by the way. But think about the unconditional love of a father. Think about the welcoming blessing that God has extended to rebels and sinners in Christ. That's what Peter 
is calling us to remember this morning. So the main point, if, if you're in Christ, God has made you a part of His family where brotherly love would reign. And if you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, let me just say thank you for coming to this building on this day to hear what this group of people believes. And our deepest burden, our our hope, our longing, is that what you would hear today is that God welcomes all types of broken, hurting, sinful, rebellious people into His family and accepts, adopts, loves, and lavishes His grace upon those people for His glory and for our joy. So I want you to feel invited to something that's good. So this leads to our first point this morning for my note-taking friends. We got one problem in this building for those of you that like my sermons sermons to stay short. There's no clock back there. So we'll be done sometime before about 3 o'clock. I'm only half kidding. Our first point, new life into a new family. New life into a new family. I want you to see in this passage who Peter is addressing. So go back a couple verses to chapter 1, verse 20. And I'm going to start reading. Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead, And gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Now in that, I hope it's abundantly clear that Peter is writing to people who have met the grace of God the salvation of God extended in Jesus Christ and have been changed, have been redeemed, and have been, in His words, born again. The Bible says that apart from Christ, we're dead in our sins, but in Christ there's salvation and there's new life. And we who believe in Christ are born again. Born again to what? Born again to live in isolation and and toe the line and do your own thing and get what you need? No. Born again for a sincere, brotherly, familial love. So when God saves, God grafts people into His family for the sake of our knowing Him, growing in Him, and inviting others to know Him. So at the core of this message, Christians are sinful people. We're sinful people. For whatever reason, the world thinks that the church thinks it's better than the world. Right? And if that's your view today, I would love to obliterate it. We are not better than anyone. But our Savior is great. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, would say, I am the chief 
of sinners. Chief. But Jesus covers the sin of the worst sinners. So at the core, the church is a family, it's sinful people who've received God's grace and been made a part of God's family. John chapter 1 says it this way, all who call upon the name of Jesus, God gives the right to be called the children of God. So if we come to Christ, we have a new Savior, Jesus, a new hope, everlasting life, a new salvation, and a new family. One that transcends race and ethnicity. One that transcends nation and tribe and tongue. One that transcends political party affiliation. One that transcends economic class. I've done some studies. Within one square mile of this building, there are a thousand family units. Over 96% of them are Caucasian. Most of them have an annual household income over $65,000. All of them are a part of an HOA. All of them can call and tattle on their neighbors for having too many weeds in the flower bed. And it becomes really easy. By the way, I live within one square mile, so I'm talking about me, except for parts of it. But anyway, it becomes easy for us to believe that the family of God are people that think like us, look like us, vote like us, and do everything just the way that we do it. And that's unbiblical, and that's untrue. Because God saves wretched sinners and changes the worst of people to make them fully accepted into his family just like Jesus is. And this exhortation that's about to come in point number two makes no sense to us until we understand that God is in the business of building a family. He's in the business of building a people. He's in the business of building those who know him and using them for his glory. So, for whatever reason, the mantra of the modern church can usually be boiled down to these two statements, love God and love others. It's not bad, but I think we need to add something to it. By all means, love God with a pure heart because God has saved you through Jesus. By all means, love those who are far from God. Love the others in the world because you used to be an other and God loved and saved you. But the point of this passage is a third point that's additional. Love God's people. Because the people that God saved, He made into a family. And if you quiz and question and poll people who have punted the church, they usually point to a bad experience inside the family of God. Sometimes it's valid, sometimes it's not. That's not our point today. Our point today is this. The way we love one another or don't love one another will be a testimony to the power of how much God's grace has changed us. 
So if you're, if you're visiting today and you're looking for a church in this community, we would welcome you with open arms and we would consider you our brothers and sisters in Christ and we would make it our divine calling to love you well as a way to glorify God. This is how the gospel works. New life into a new family. That leads to the second point this morning. Called to brotherly love. Begin at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's a command. That's a command. And there's something that's really important for us to understand. Commands in the New Testament are never there for the purpose of earning God's favor. Commands are never there for the purpose of earning salvation. But commands are there to shape what Christian lives look like. Because the God who saves is the God who changes. And so when Peter says, love one another earnestly, do you know what he means? You've got to go to seminary and study Greek to get this, okay? It would be the will of God that you as a child of God would love the people of God earnestly. Earnestly. And I hope the word that stands out to you there is earnestly. Earnestly meaning intentionally, vigorously, unendingly. Even when it's inconvenient, I'm going to earnestly love the brethren. I'm going to earnestly love God's people. So there's a goal. Love one another earnestly. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, he says first, you love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now that's a loaded statement. That's a loaded prepositional phrase because what Peter is saying is that until we know God's saving grace and our heart is purified, we actually can't love without motive. We actually can't love without selfishness. We actually can't love well or earnestly. But implied in that is God did everything required for us to love well. At the expense of the life of his own son who bore the wrath of God, Jesus came and purchased a pure heart. And so if you're in Christ, Peter's saying, you have a new heart, you have a pure heart, you have a clean heart, you've been restored, you've been renewed, your heart of stone has been made into a heart of flesh, and that's the source of brotherly love. The very heart and emotion and affection that allows us to love God causes us to love others. So Peter might be saying to you, if you have a hard heart toward the people of God, you might very well have a hard heart toward God himself. Peter might very well be saying, if your heart is hardened toward one another, you might also have a heart that's hardened toward God. Peter is saying... If we love God purely, we will love one another purely. This week, my good friend and mentor from our sending church, uh, Scott Patty, and we got some Grace Community people here today. They came all the way from Brentwood to celebrate with us. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. But my friend and mentor, Scott Patty, he called me. He said, Jamie, how can I pray for you guys this week? I said, well, 
My sermon's done, thanks to some fire alarms. So that's good. Um, I said, it, it looks like we're going to get the building done, so, so that's good. Now, I would advise you, if a door's closed down the hallway, don't open it. It's a train wreck in there, okay? But some of the building's going to be done, so we're good. I said, but here's how I want you to pray for us today. And, and they're praying for us this morning, this very thing. I said, I think that Satan would love for us to turn on one another. He'd love for us to get upset about who did what and who didn't do what and what color this is and what color that wasn't. And he'd love for us to get upset about the chairs should have been a little bit comfortable, more comfortable and the rows could have been a little bit straighter. And all of that's just stupid because none of it matters. And yet we trip over that landmine over and over and over again. I said, what I want you to pray is that Redeemer would be filled with love for one another, a love that transcends preference, a love that transcends disagreement, a love that transcends overwork. And by the way, there's some people that have been up here past midnight the last four days. So a love that transcends that, right? Okay, like that's what I'm praying. Because if we can't overcome a little frustration about getting a building set up, how are we going to overcome real stuff, right? And by the way, I think, I think God's with us, but that's how Satan would love to trip us up. Let brotherly love reign. Let brotherly love reign. So if you want to respond to this call for brotherly love, seek a pure heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God, whereby God's love flows in us to change us and out of us to serve and to love others. Peter also serves us, though, by telling us that there are some things that are opposed to brotherly love. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 1. He says, So, because you're called to brotherly love, put away malice, put away deceit, Put away hypocrisy, put away envy, put away slander, because you can't love me well and be malicious toward me at the same time. And you can't love me well and be deceitful to me at the same time. And you can't love me well with half of yourself and be hypocritical toward me at the same time. And you can't love me well and be envious of me at the same time. And you can't love me well and slander me at the same time. So if you want to be filled with brotherly love, notice and identify malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander so that you can repent of it and seek the grace of God to fill you with his love. Let's just define some terms here. Malice, ill will toward another person. You can't have malice toward a brother and love him well. Deceit means to misrepresent the truth and lie to someone. You can't love someone well and be deceitful toward them at the same time. Hypocritical. That's a fun one that people love to throw at the church. Well, hypocritical literally means two-faced. In the time that Peter was writing, and soon in that culture, a hypocrite was an actor who played multiple roles in a theater production and had a mask that turned around. I'm Jamie, I'm a woman. I'm Jamie, I'm a soldier. I'm Jamie, right? Like, and so Peter's just simply saying, have one face. Have one disposition. Have one heart. And let it be filled with love for God and love for others. Envy. 
Longing for self-elevation. Slander, disparaging of others. Peter says, when you look around and see malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, you're not filled with brotherly love. When you look at your own heart and you feel malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, you're not filled with brotherly love. And the call of the gospel is to be filled with brotherly love. So let me tell you what happened this morning about 925. About four things didn't go right. And I knew y'all were coming. And I'm standing out in the hallway and I'm mad and I'm frustrated and I'm gritting my teeth and I'm, I'm mad at some particular people who I probably shouldn't have been mad at. And I even told somebody to call one of them, which I probably shouldn't have done. And in that moment, I had to pause and I had to go, dude, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, put away malice, put away deceit, put away hypocrisy, put away envy, and put away slander. And so I had to stand out there in that hallway and repent and pray for the Lord to purge my heart and fill it with brotherly love so that when you guys showed up this morning, you would meet the love of God and not the angry pastor who sweats too much and throws things. I didn't throw anything. I'm just kind of trying to be funny now. But I just want you to hear that, man. I'm not hurling stones at you. This is us. This is our struggle. This isn't an all or nothing kind of thing like, oh yeah, I used to have a little anger in my heart, but now it's all gone. No, you'll die and you'll breathe your last and you'll go meet Jesus and you'll see him face to face and then it'll all be gone. But between now and then, you're a dimmer switch and you're just kind of up and down. But the way to get the dark out is to repent and to believe the gospel and to seek the grace of God to flow through you because when the love of God flows in, the love of others flows out. So test yourself today. Test yourself. Here's my final exhortation on this point. Do you know what the word Philadelphia means? Yeah, city of brotherly love. You ever been to Philadelphia? It's name only. Trust me. If you're from Philadelphia today, we love you and we're glad you're here. And we are filled with love toward you. At least I'm speaking of athletic gatherings in Philadelphia. How about that? I'll, 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 be, I'll be tighter in my exhortation. So Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love, but most people look at that and go, yeah, right. So we're called the church of Jesus. We're called Redeemer Church. That means Jesus is our Redeemer, and we're a gathering of his people. And so I just wonder, how much are we like Philadelphia, and how much are we like Philadelphia ought to be, Right? Like, let's be a people filled with brotherly love because the radical love of God has changed us. Final point. Oh, man, I'll go fast. Final point for note-taking friends. Finding the strength to love. What if your heart's filled with hate and with sin and with evil and you don't want to love well? Where do you find the strength to love? Chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you might grow up into salvation. 
Now, don't mix your metaphor here with Paul's metaphors later about milk and meat, and don't mix your metaphor here with the author of Hebrews' metaphor later about milk and meat. But just hear this. Peter's saying, as long as you're breathing God's oxygen on God's earth, you are like a newborn infant, and your only hope is the pure spiritual milk that flows through His Spirit often by his word, where we can be renewed and restored in the gospel of Jesus and the grace of God, and we can mature. So I know this is not possible. Just bear with me. If a baby who's about six months old set up and said, I'm done with milk, we would chuckle because baby has no teeth. Like baby's got nothing to offer, except he needs milk, right? But I think so often that's what we do. Yeah, I got that gospel thing. I got the gospel That's how I got saved. That's how I got in the door. But now I need something new. No, you don't. You need the grace of God extended to you through Jesus Christ as revealed in the Word of God over and over and over again because that's the spiritual milk that will both nurture and give life and grow and satisfy your soul. So Peter says, if you've tasted that the Lord is good, don't forget that the Lord is good. Don't go chasing after fake replacements for the Lord because His Word, His Son, His Spirit are your life. This is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. At the end of chapter 1, it's actually quoting from Isaiah 40. But Peter says, you've been born again, not of something that perishes, but something that's imperishable through the abiding and living word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Do you hear that? The spiritual milk of the word of God, whereby you heard of Jesus and you were saved, stands true forever. It does not perish. So, I'm going to sound like a little bit of a sweaty fundamentalist for a minute because I am sweating and what I'm going to say is fundamental and I don't care. Finding the strength to love well comes from the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus and seeking Him with God's people. Period, exclamation point, and I heard an amen. So, if you're with us here at Redeemer, We're going to love God by returning to the pure milk, by returning to the imperishable word, and believing that in that God fixes things, heals things, amends brokenness, and makes all things new. So I exhort you to the pure spiritual milk that is the gospel of Jesus, which comes through the word of God. So here's how I want to end this morning. It would be the will of God that we would know Christ. It would be the will of God that we who know Christ would dive deeply into the people, the family of God, and that we would be filled with love for God and love for others and love for one another in such a way that it's clear that the Lord reigns here. So let's go to his word. Let's go to his grace. Let's go to his gospel and let's root ourselves in him because that is our hope and our power.